Chris Voss, master hostage negotiator, former FBI uh, international kidnapping negotiator is here, and he is going to do something called, what is it called, Chris? 60 seconds till she dies. It's going to be fun, so I hope you guys are ready. All right, so one of us has got to be a bank robber, and the other one of us has got to be the hostage negotiator. And I will give you the option as to which one you would like to be. Which one would you like to be, Chris? Well, I normally play the bank robber, but, you know, sometimes people want to say, well, what would it look like if one of you guys were doing it? So, you know, we, or we could run it both ways. We could do it once with me as the negotiator and you as the bank robber, and then we can turn the tables. Let's do that. I'd be curious to see how it is on the other side. All right. We'll, so uh, I'll be the bank robber first. You be the negotiator first. All right. So when perfect. you're ready, I mean, you, you can't, the only restrictions the negotiator has, the negotiator cannot give transportation. You can't give drugs or alcohol. You can't give weapons. Can't do any kind of a hostage exchange. No one comes in. People only come out. We simulate being over the phone when the negotiator is ready to go and you'll be the negotiator the first time. You say ring, ring, and we start. All right, guys. Well, just as a heads up, I am not a pro, and we're going against the pro, so cheer me on here. Hopefully I can uh, survive this 60 seconds or she'll die. All right, let's do it. Ring, ring. And I need a car in 60 seconds or she dies. A car? A car in 60 seconds or she dies. Who's, who's she? Don't worry about that. You got 57 seconds. 57 seconds. What, what do you need a car for? What do you think I need a car for? 50 seconds. 50 seconds. Well, I'd love to get you a car. I don't know that I can get you a car in 50 seconds. So you Does can get this me is car. over. You can get me a car. Okay, how long? You just agreed to know. a car. You said you don't think you can get it in 60 seconds, which means you can get it. So how, how long do you need? Tell me how long you need. It's a great question. I'd have to talk it over to some other people, but before well, I can go I there, I need to understand. Well, I didn't know what you were talking about because you just said you could do it. So I'm not now as you have 35 seconds. 35 seconds. Well, if she dies, you're not going to get anything. So now you're threatening me. You think that makes sense? 30 seconds. What am I supposed to do here? Car in 30 seconds? 25 seconds. I couldn't even drive there in 25 seconds. You got cars all over the place. Don't lie to me. People are on the outside. You got 20 seconds. How am I supposed to do that? Put the car out front. Leave the keys in the car. Leave the door open. Get out of the way. 15 seconds. Tell me what's going to happen after I give you the car. I'll tell you that this woman is going to die in 10 seconds if you don't put that car out front. So she's dead if I don't give you the car and I don't have her life safe if, if she is? Seven seconds. Do I get any promise from you that she lives after the car? No. How am I supposed to do that? Three, two, one. Man, that is hard. I have to admit. I have to admit. I kind of froze up there. I was now, thinking, you did what am I supposed good, to you do? You did some good stuff. You did some good stuff. Part of freezing up is you got a couple of skills already. Mm -hmm. Now, my tone of voice is what caused the freeze up. Yeah. The harsh tone of voice actually kind of locks your brain up. Now, and you had trouble getting out of how am I supposed to do that? You weren't sure of which direction to go. It's a really effective skill. The interesting thing about it is it's so effective, and people get used to how well it works, 
that the one time they drop it and it doesn't work, they kind of freeze up. And that that's when we run this exercise, we're a little harder on people when they we, they when they say to us, how am I supposed to do that? Because what I actually did to let you know that it wasn't going to work, I told you how to do it. Yeah. And you disregarded that. And then you asked me how to do it again. Now, if you ask me how once and I told you and you asked me again, unfortunately, what you just taught me is that you're not listening to me. Mm -hmm. So, and that, that's, but that one in particular, and I was, I was pretty hard on you, but we're a little harder on that one because it is so effective that we know that the one time the person on the other side tells you how to do it. Most people are so flummoxed by it, it catches them off guard. They don't know where to go from there. As the hostage negotiator, I felt like I was in a box from the beginning. Like right. I felt small. I felt like I've got to protect myself. I felt like this guy's not going to give me anything I'm looking for. I don't know how to ask for it. Now he's yelling at me. Now I'm afraid of getting yelled at. It was a very weird feeling go through that and, I, and i'll bet if you were wearing a fitbit or an apple watch we would have seen that your heart rate shot up it is through the roof right now i've got some serious <laughs> adrenaline going <laughs> which is another really crazy thought about your mind's influence on the body because if we were just sitting here talking and i would say to you all right double your heart rate right now just double it you'd be like no that's stupid yeah, I got to do jumping jacks or something to double my heart rate. Yeah. But instead, you know, I triggered an emotional response in you and bang, your heart rate doubled, which is, that's a really crazy thought when you think about, well, if we could do it by accident, what could we do with our brains if we wrapped a way to control that force, wrapped our minds around how to control it, which is the whole Kotler thing and some other stuff that I was talking about. That's what we start to stumble into in human performance, which is an awful lot of fun. It's that was incredible. It was a minute thirty eight seconds. It felt like fifteen seconds, but uh, <laughs> okay. she died. You did. And, uh, you did. Make... You got. You timed it. You got ninety eight seconds out of that. Yeah, that was really good. You see, that's a victory. You're originally given sixty seconds. You got it to ninety eight. I mean, that any time you negotiate one second past the deadline. You've done well. All right. So you want to be a let's, bad guy? Let's flip the script while we're doing this. I think this will All be right. really fun for people. Um, my heart is still pounding through my chest, guys. So, you know, give me a little bit of a break here. It is Chris Voss after all. All, all right. right. I'm ready when you are. Ring, ring. 60 seconds, give me a car out front or she dies. Sounds like you want to live through this. I'm not determined on either direction I'm going to go, but you tell me what's going to happen. Well, 60 seconds or she's going to die. That's what you want the car for, isn't it? Because you want to live? Are you going I mean, to get I, the car I, or not? I want, I want to see you get out of this. I want to see you live. I just want to make sure that's what you want. I mean, 34 it, seconds or she's dead. Car's going to be out front. Doesn't, doesn't sound to me like you want to live. I mean, as, as long as I know you want to live, I mean, I, I have my, how am I supposed to know if you're not, if you're not going to want to live, if you're not going to give me a chance, what are we talking about? 
okay, I want to live and the car I need outside in seven seconds or she's going to die. And then it doesn't matter what happens from there. No, it doesn't sound like you're going to give me a chance. I don't think you're telling me the truth. You're, you're not giving me a chance as, in the, as point of fact. I mean, you haven't. Three, two, one. See, now you, you were never going to give me a chance. That's the no. problem. No, no. And, I and was being very stubborn. There are some deals that you're just never going to make. And part of a negotiator's job up front, and point of fact, and it's in, in, in the hostage negotiation world, we assume that everybody at the bank is there because he wants to get away from the bank. And point of fact, suicide by cop almost always takes place at a bank hmm. because the guy doesn't want to get away. There was never going to be a deal. And so we have to figure that out right away. And if you're never going to give me the deal. I was so committed to not letting you give me the deal that I was ready for her to die. And therefore I was ready for me to die because without her, it's almost a foregone conclusion. Essentially. I was so stuck in not letting you win that I wasn't going to let myself win at the same time. And, and does that ever happen in business negotiations. It does, but how do we break through that? Because it's gonna happen from time to time where the person is you know, shooting themselves in the foot despite what they really want. Right, and that, and that in fact, in point of fact, is the question. The issue is not how do we guarantee success, but what's our best chance of success? Mm. And about 20%, um, actually, it's, I know the number's much higher. But about 20% of the deals are false deals. They're never going to happen. Uh, a book, they, uh, the Challenger sale actually did, did a survey on it. And they said, they said, in point of fact, they surveyed executives and said, how often are you just never going to make the deal with the other side? And you just talk to them because, you know, you got all kinds of reasons. You're going to sound like you're going to make the deal, but you're never actually going to make it. And they admitted to 20%, which, wow. which effectively is to say, how often do you lie to the other side? Now, there's no way they exaggerated that number. So the number is 20% is the floor. And, and as soon as we, you know, that was the one thing that when we wrote the book, we didn't really delve into something that we call proof of life now much at all, because I didn't imagine it would be a problem. I couldn't uh-huh. imagine that people wouldn't come to the table not intending to make the deal. Yeah. The point of fact, the challenger sale pegs the number 20% of the time. We think the number is actually in some instances as high as 80% of the time. Wow because we train people to watch out for this now. And those that are watching out for it are getting much higher numbers. So for everyone who's watching and listening, if you want to be able to negotiate like Chris, be able to lock up somebody into a complete freeze or break through when they are frozen, uh, I got to encourage you guys to click below, check out this amazing class Um, and training that Chris has put together. Um, And I hope forward to seeing you guys there and that you apply some of these strategies yourself. Remember, you don't get in life what's fair, you get what you negotiate. If you want to become a better negotiator, click the link in the description below. As a hostage negotiator was saving, literally saving lives. You know, as a business negotiation coach and consultant, we're changing lives. We're helping people weekly we hear from one of our clients, this deal will change my life. You know, they're going to live in a bigger house. They're going to, they're going to give their kids a better life. They're going to give their kids a better education. I mean, all, all the reasons for succeeding. And also, 
the way that that's spoken, nobody on our team brags about deals where people were hurt. Right. You know, and that's a critical issue. You know, you don't, you want to be a great negotiator. You want to be open. You don't hurt people. You know, you, you make spectacular things happen without leaving a wake of resentment. So that's what we're doing these days. Well, so, I mean, I, I sort of already know the answer to this question, but I'd love for you to weigh in on it. There's a, I can think of Mark Cuban who wrote a book, you know, business is sport. Yeah. And a big part of that book was you got to dominate, you got to win, win at all costs. It's the philosophy of some leaders I can think about who are currently in office um, who just leave, you know, wasteland of people that they've steamrolled or whatever. Uh, why is that bad? Uh, or how is it good? Can you help? Give well, me you know, I, and I, put, I put some I put some interpretation on that, too. Cuban's yeah. talking about winning at all costs. He's talking about beating his competitors, not his colleagues. I happen to be uh, I be, I was an advisor to a company that he invested heavily in. I'm an advisor in another company that he's investing in. He's about the team game. I mean, he's not destroying the people that are doing business with him. If if he, you know, if that kind of attitude, I mean, the, the players that play for him on a Mavericks, he doesn't have the lowest payroll in the league. He pays his people. He comp Now, he wants his people to bring their A game. you you got to bring your A game. Mm -hmm. If you don't have an A game, he's not particularly interested in doing business with you. So his highly competitive nature, this winning that I, you know, and I haven't had a direct conversation with him. You know, I, we have one person that's very close to both of us, but I don't talk to him. Um, so I'm interpreting, you know, his competitiveness is outperforming his competitors, not bleeding his business associates. I mean, you make a deal with Walmart. Walmart is, that is not a deal that's going to, make be profitable for you walmart is famous for putting their suppliers out of business cuban doesn't put his business partners out of business he makes them wealthy and that that those are two those are two different things you want to perform at a very high level i i want us to crush our competition by outperforming them mm -hmm. and our emphasis is on and no one will ever touch my company because we learn every day I mean, try and keep up with us. Just try. <laughs> I think it's an important distinction. I'm glad that you clarified that. I'd like to talk about it more. Um, maybe, you know, when we start down this road of having our own business, uh, it's tempting. You know, maybe it's, it's a gift or it's an opportunity that's been handed to us to put the competition or even our partners out of business. But like... Help us understand some of these best practices. How, how do we win without burning bridges, ruining, ruining relationships? How do we make it that classic? I don't even, I'm even kind of afraid to say win-win because I don't know if that's correct terminology these days. Help us understand what we should be doing. Yeah, well, like if you and I were negotiating, my goal would be how do you and I work together so that together we come up with a better deal than either one of us imagined? You're going to feel very you're going to feel very involved in the process and you're not going to feel like i'm against you because i'm not i mean if i'm negotiating with someone we're faced with different aspects of the same problem 
and we will get farther together than we will tripping each other or cutting the legs out from each other. You know, so by definition, I've got to look out for you in order to get to the best deal I can possibly get. Now, that's a hard distinction to make because so much negotiation out there is very much taught at the expense of someone else or the uninitiated. Like when uh, I was teaching negotiation in business schools before the book came out, I'd be at a cocktail party and somebody find out that I taught negotiation. And they go, let me tell you about this deal. <laughs> I had them over a barrel. That was nothing I could. they could do. I mean, I had them over a barrel. Now, the problem with that was they left an enemy in their wake. Mm -hmm. And the thing that always happens is everybody that says that, that deal happened five years ago, and they're five to ten years between deals that are bragworthy. Yeah, that's not a repeat client. No, it's not a repeat client, but and you can't sustain you can't sustain a professional career making a great deal once every five years. Right. When you turn it into a collaborative process, again, the people that we're coaching they're making great deals every month, if not every week, let alone every five years. And so the velocity of deals is is a critical issue that a lot of people want to ignore. Talk to because I, I love the. I mean, I think out of all of the, you know, masterclass uh, videos you see or others, you, you're so great at nailing the specific skill down to a very actionable level. It's not abstract. It's not theoretical. It's usually something a little bit counterintuitive. So there's a little bit of a surprise. You, you, it's something you can put into practice right there. It, it's it's really I think you do it as a terrific job. Um, so I, I always rave about you and, and tell everybody to check out you know check out the masterclass, check out your book. Um, you. But the you know the the place we wanted to start from is you know we we're not going to spend time on the on the podcast maybe get into all the skills because they're they're you have so many great YouTube videos and 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 all the great you know buy the book and check out all that other stuff. I mean I, our our question really started from. You know, thinking about if negotiation is a little bit like a golf swing, right? You got skills like the grip, the stance, the takeaway, the 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 down, you know, the swinging down through the ball, the follow through, all these different skills. And you're teaching all these skills. If you think about, we want to talk about kind of two different types of people. Let's talk about you know a a leader of an organization. Those those are a lot of our listeners. You know, you're giving them all these great skills and they're like, man, I, it's like going on the golf course and you've you're got all the swing thoughts. Where do you recommend people start? What's the skill that you think is the best starting point? The one or two areas where they need to kind of start their journey if they're a, if they're a leader. Yeah, well, uh, the simplest and most overlooked is, is tone of voice. And, you know, I, and I was just thinking now, like the, the uh, people the ask too simple. It's not complicated enough for me. All right, fine. You are never going to get there um, because I can begin to affect uh, the velocity of your thinking. I mean, literally the velocity of your thinking based on my tone and pacing, which means I can affect your thinking before I finished a complete sentence. Hmm. And, you know, in, in terms of leaders, um, love them or hate them, Ronald Reagan. Now, he did something that's hard to do, but it's masterful when you did it because when you do it, because it's both a downward inflecting voice, 
which is the voice that the best TV television news anchors use. Because with the downward inflecting voice, it's confident. It gives you authority. Before yeah. I finish the sentence, you feel in your bones that I believe in what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, you feel the confidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, the other thing that Reagan did, you know, Reagan was a charming dude. So he smiled. And when you can combine the downward inflecting voice with a smiling voice simultaneously, <clears throat> you were hitting other neurons triggering another response which makes people enjoy your confidence and your authority mm. and it puts them in a positive frame of mind and sean acker harvard psychologist did this great ted talk called i think it's called the happiness advantage a-c-h-o-r acker sean acker and this is where my data is from, um, and I'm satisfied with my source. He says, you're 31% smarter in a positive frame of mind. Now, if I've got you believing in what I say based on how I've said it, plus I put you in a positive frame of mind, making you smarter, now I've got the stage set for brilliant collaboration, and you're comfortable with me leading the way. And you're also, if I need to correct you and guide you, then with my tone of voice, it feels gentle, it feels reassuring, you feel smarter, all simultaneously, which is a great leadership position to be in. I mean, you want to contrast leadership styles. I think the only real difference in terms of thinking and application of ideas, uh, and never mind personal behavior, good or bad, the only real difference between Reagan and Trump is that Reagan made a point to be charming and smile. You know, like Donald Trump is famous for The Apprentice where he fired people. Like Ronald Reagan fired every air traffic controller in America in one fell swoop. Ronald Reagan fired more people than Donald Trump ever thought of firing. And Reagan was just charming about it. Reagan was anti-overseas adversaries. He was really big on going after the Soviet Union at the time. Donald Trump is very big on China, but an overseas adversary. Ronald Reagan, very active, very aggressive, very assertive, extremely assertive foreign policy, but said it with a smile. You know, he's, he's standing at the Berlin Wall and he says, Mr. Gorbachev, tear this wall down. And he smiled when he said it. And the wall got torn down. The biggest difference between the two of them as leaders is really that Reagan smiled when he said the same stuff mm. and a downward inflecting voice. Donald Trump, without the smile, the same sort of assertive voice, you know, people feel they'd been beaten up and Reagan far more aggressive. People are charmed just by the fact that he smiled. It's, it's ridiculously silly, which is why I think it's, so overlooked. Interesting. So that, that, that would be, so, and that, and that's a, that's one, that's what I love about that is that's something that's in your control, but something that it's your point. Never. I never think about the actual tonation of my voice. You know, people what so that, overlook. Yeah. It's, it's, it's mastery work. 
what you can do with the tone of your voice. Absolute mastery. So, so tone of voice is, is, so that's a, that's a overlooked skill. You'd say leaders center in on as, as a, as a first step. Would your answer differ if you said we have a, a lot of students, you know, undergraduate students uh, who are you know, 20 years old, right? 21 years old. Would you say, would you kind of start with tone of voice for them as they think about how they, to be a great influencer, or would you, would you offer a different advice to that, to that younger person? No, I'd, I'd start with tone of voice. I mean, it's the simplest to begin to get practice on also and immediately, immediately impact. Plus, I mean, you get more small stakes practice with tone of voice, like in each and every conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just a, it's just a matter of, Every single skill is only a matter of practice and it's a matter of overcoming your own awkwardness. Um, you know, just, just a few minutes ago, I was, uh, there's a, there's a new social media app that just come out called fireside and, uh, just did a session on it, uh, just a, a literally 10 minutes ago with myself and Derek gone. And Derek is our coach, you know, our top coach among a, a, a whole stable of great coaches but Derek's got a great tone of voice. And in, in the uh, session we just did, somebody said, hey, how are you guys doing your tone of voice, man? How did you guys learn your cadence, your casing, your pacing, uh, your cadence, sorry, your inflection? You guys, are, you guys are just so good at it, keeping people's attention and making people feel good. And both of us answered practice. You know, we got, we got our repetitions in. So, and it's a starting point. For example, you come to me and you present me with a price. And I go, Oof, Seems like that, that, well, that, that, that doesn't sit well with you. Doesn't sit well with me. Go deeper than that. What else am I telling you with that? Doesn't sit well with me is surface level presenting stuff. What would make me not like that price? You have to go to a higher level to get approval. And that does what to me? Puts pressure uh, on you, right? right? Yeah. You're just scratching the surface. Mm-hmm. Seems like I'm way off base. Seems like you are under tremendous pressure to bring this in as low as possible. People are afraid of change because they're afraid of losing. Um, and when, and so, which means, like, if I make the change, I'm going to be worse off. Like if I'm a nicer guy, I'm going to be worse off. I'm yep. not going to get as much. Um, one of the one of the guys that we we just had a very special training session of high level people that we did last year, first time ever. We're going to do it again this coming year. All all heads of companies, entrepreneurs, yep, not corporations, entrepreneurs. And uh, one guy, not the stereotypical negotiator. Most people think the stereotype of negotiator is loud and aggressive, like super quiet dude, super quiet. Not loud, not overly aggressive at all. Extremely competitive. Yep. Difference between being competitive and aggressive. Yep. And so I did a follow-on interview because a guy blew me away. Yeah. And he said, I have made so much more money being collaborative than I ever made by being cutthroat. Wow. Like, I've, I've made, you guys have made an $800,000 difference this year by making us more collaborative, and we never had jumps like that before when we were cutthroat. So that, that's very counterintuitive because people think like, well, I'll have more empathy. If I'm more collaborative, that means I got to give, give up bigger pieces of the pie. You know, why should I expand a pie if I'm not going to get a bigger piece? Yep. And it, people who get collaborative at the end of the year, they're like, I put more money in my bank account this year than any of the preceding years. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it, it, it enriches you to be more giving. Absolutely. 
this is true. All right, so so uh, I got to go back to um, the two day intensive, right? So the first day, we actually have to do an exercise with a group, a team, uh, collaborating with other teams. Yeah, and um, y- y- you know, we got to make a deal, right? That that's gonna that's going to be amicable for everybody, right? And nobody, <laughs> nobody won. I don't remember one team winning or or the two teams that, that they were working with each other, collaborating and winning, because everybody was suspicious of each other. Right. Everybody was like, no, you're trying to get over. You're trying to make us take 20% of this, and you're trying to get you know 80% of that. And we we couldn't get out of our own way. Uh, we, we were and, – and this is the thing about me. Like, uh, uh, I'll tell you one thing that's very, very humbling is to read the book – to actually go to a live event with Chris and the team and think that because you read the book, you know what you're doing. <laughs> it's only when you get in that, you do know to a certain extent the principles, but when you get put in these environments that are stress-inducing, you realize, man, the selfishness is right at the surface. I haven't killed my ego yet. I, I actually want to win. And that's what happens a lot of times when people don't want to change right. is they think that by me changing, you're winning and I'm losing. Change means loss. Yeah, change means loss. And so I um no, I really appreciate I really appreciate you kind of giving us a a context of that because it's a it's a game changer. It's a game changer. So so what is what is next for you? I I don't want to assume this. When I was at the when I was at the premiere. Um, um, you're, you're a very unassuming guy. Like, like you don't have yellow glasses, <laughs> right? So you're low key, you're low key, but there's, there's a strength and an, an authority and, and an expertise that you have that you continue to hone. But it felt like you were passing the baton. It felt like you're, you're, you talk more about Brandon <laughs> yeah. than you did yourself. And I'm like, it, what am I, what am I experiencing right now? What am I actually seeing? So what is next for you is, is, are you trying to step out of the way or you, are you looking to do other things or? Well, uh, both. I mean, it's really more about the team. Yep. Um, uh, will uh, you want to go fast, go long. You want to go far, go as a team. That's right. We're going to, we're going to reach more people. The more, um, we raise the visibility of Brandon, of Derek, of Troy, of Sandy. You know, the more we raise their vis- visibility and the more people become com- uh, confident that it's the Black Swan group and not Chris Voss. Yeah. So more of expanding um, our reach through those guys. Like everybody on my team is ultimately going to write a book. Great. Or collaborate on a couple of books. Great. Sandy is getting ready to get started on a project of um, Empathy, the Great Equalizer, the subtitle is empowering women. And she's like, well, this is, this can be for everybody, but you know, we're going to focus it on women. Fantastic. But it'd be for everybody. Yeah, for sure. So raising up the level of everybody else. Um, Brandon is, is going to be our only official licensee. He needs to run his own operation. He doesn't like answering to anybody anymore. than I do (laughs) like father, like son. (laughs) Exactly. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, he, he's gonna, he's going to develop a lot more stuff on his own. And then, is the full circle stuff some global opportunities 
besides business, uh, I've gotten more and more involved uh, with an, uh, an organization called Global Citizen Forum, which is, for lack of a better term, peace through prosperity. Mm. You know, there will be less conflict in the world the more prosperity there is. Mm-hmm. So how do we get people to see in the developing world that collaboration is the key to prosperity and peace simultaneously, yeah. spreading wealth around. And that a lot of that has been based out of the UAE, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Ras Al Khaimah, because that's a, a interest, that's a country that's built on collaboration. Yeah, absolutely. Like they, they got a government that realized that the more they spread the wealth among their citizens, the safer place it will be. It's a very pro-business environment. Mm-hmm. And they set a great model for that part of the world, and they, they walk the talk. So um, the organizations that I'm getting involved with there, uh, people from Africa, all parts of the developing world are coming there, and they're saying, like, gov- government is really the referee, but the business sector, an ethical business sector, mm-hmm. is where prosperity comes from. Mm-hmm. Raise, raise everybody's standing of living. I gotta take that. I gotta take a note on that. An ethical, ethical business. Mm-hmm. There's, ethical there's a business. lot of unethical business. Yes, that's for sure. But there's uh, there's enough ethical business to make a to actually make a difference in the world. Yes, sir. To do to do to do well. And are your business leaders going to be perfect? Or no? Uh, are they going to have egos? Yes. They're going to make mistakes. Yep. But you know. Uh, I, I'm I'm an Elon Musk fan. Yeah, I mean I've been at Starlink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, Starlink is both uh, is a wonderful place. Like they're changing the course of mankind there. Yeah, they are working their tails off. Like yep. if you work for Elon Musk, you're working hard. Yeah, for sure. And the people that are at Starlink, they're torn because they know they're changing the future of mankind, and they're there twenty four seven. Yeah, like you know this whole hullabaloo about people having to work at Twitter. More, you know, and they're sleeping in their offices. They've yeah. been doing that at Starlink for a long time. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Those guys are testing Starlink are going, welcome to my world. Yeah, exactly. You, know, you want to make a difference on the planet. Yeah. I mean, really make a difference. Yep. It ain't nine to five with long lunch breaks. That's and, facts. And, and long coffee breaks in the afternoon. Yep. Like, you're going to have to dig in and get it done. Yep. And And I find those organizations and their leadership to be very ethical. Yeah. I... Are they perfect? No. Yeah. Do, uh, you know, is, is Elon want everybody to work as hard as he does? You know, he's one of those guys like like my father. Yeah. Never ask you to do something he wouldn't do himself. There That's ain't right. nothing he wouldn't do. That's right. So, you you know, you bring your A game and your hard working game if you come to work there because we're not playing ping pong over lunch. That's right. That's yeah. right. So... And that's those those are that's what's going to change the world. Yeah. Now, in the meantime, we need governments to be the referee. That's right. I, I completely I like agree with that. Yeah, for sure. The governments are the referee. They're not there to make your life better. They're, they're there to minimize the harm that comes to you as much as possible. Yep. But they're not there to make your life better. That's right. That's good. I man, that that's um, you know, I see everything in pictures. So I'm I'm thinking about I'm thinking about the guys the guys that can uh, make a living playing basketball are the guys that know how to dribble inbounds and stop when the whistle blows. Interesting. Exactly. It's the bottom line. And the, the now talk about ethical, It would it, to take it a, a step further, it would also be the guys that when they commit a foul, they know it and raise their hand and go, that was me. Yeah. Ref doesn't even have to blow the whistle. I, the dude scored 14 points for me in a row. I just karate chopped him in the throat. Yeah. That, that wasn't an accident. I know I failed to do. You know what I mean? It was probably a flagrant too. 
Um, <laughs> I, and, and then and then they're going to get the benefit of the doubt. That's exactly right. Like yeah. referee sees him as an honest guy with a lot of integrity. The referee's trying to make up his mind. You know, or, or is this a guy who's who's whining and complaining like crybaby? And or is this a guy that's owning up to it? That's right. That and that guy or gal, depending upon the case, can yeah. get the benefit of the doubt. Absolutely. So I own a Tesla, and. Um, uh, I just want to say salute to everybody that stays up <laughs> and sleeps in their office because I left the gym two days ago. I finally got full service driving uh, downloaded on my on, on my car, and it drove me home from the gym. Nice. Wow. The car drove me home from the gym. It turned street corners. It stopped at red lights it stopped at stop signs it made left turns and blinker it actually negotiated uh, around a car that wasn't moving fast enough and it drove straight up to my house that's not going to happen playing ping pong in the afternoon no, no. <laughs> in the same way your marriage is not going to get fixed and you won't actually put in the work or your company's going to grow and you do it for four hours a day. Right. Right. Like, I mean, without a work ethic, none of this is going to make a difference. Right. But I'm, I'm just I'm celebrating the um, the legacy that you're leaving and the 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 um, the the doors that you are opening for others. Because that's what you're doing, Chris. Yeah, thank you, yeah. You're, you're opening up doors for others. You're opening up doors for women. Sandy's a beast. Yeah, Sandy's cool. You're using tactical empathy and the skills that we're going to go over with you to build rapport. Okay, once you build rapport, that's going to get you to the trust-based influence. Once you have a trust-based influence on the other side, that is when you can get that empathy reciprocated. You're not going to get it from them unless you're giving it in the first place. Once you have the empathy reciprocated, it's amazing. You have this little like understanding and you're like a team now working forward. And that's when you get to that agreement. That's when you make that deal. When everyone is calm, the rapport gets built, you get the trust-based influence. You're using empathy, so they're giving it back to you. Boom, things happen. When you watch TV, when you listen to other conversations, when you're listening to the news, when you're, you know, eavesdropping on conversations at restaurants with those loud talkers, listen for people to use the skills. And then label them. Oh, that was a good label. Ooh, that was a good mirror. That's why when, when Troy earlier used the no or any question, to say, would, you, would you be against me saying something? No or any question. If, if you get yourself in that habit, it's like learning a foreign language. You always understand it before you can speak it really well. So if you start understanding it from what we call it paving the neural pathway from the back door because you're, you're understanding it. It's cementing itself in your brain without you having to actively do it. But if you hear it, it's going to help you. If you recognize the skills when you hear them, even today, because we use them on purpose when we do this training, we do it like you, like you noticed, like we structure it very specifically. So if you hear us do that, it's going to help with your reps to hear it and recognize it. So can you... How do people practice? What, what do you suggest in practice techniques? Like just every conversation you start practicing, taking notes, keeping a journal. What, you know, it, it's very, again, very tactical, very specific, very actionable. So how would you, you suggest, you know, talk about the, the CEO leader and then also that 23, 24 year old entering the workforce student. How would they practice? What would you say as some examples? Practice in the mirror to start with. And then, you know, the thing that great athletes do 
is they envision themselves doing it right. Now you can run all the rehearsals you need in your head over and over. You can go back, replay a past conversation and reimagining yourself doing it with a late night FM DJ voice or with the smiling voice. You know, most of the time when we replay past conversations in our head, we imagine ourselves getting angry. Uh, this is what I wish I would have said. This is how I wish I would have said it. Mm. Well, in point of fact, that's practice doing it wrong. <laughs> and great athletes, because this, you know, camp called negotiation a human performance skill, which I would have to agree with. It's a perishable skill. Tone of voice is a human performance skill. It's perishable. You got to have practice. And the great athletes, the great performers, actually go back and run it through in their head doing it properly. You know, LeBron James, when he's sitting at home thinking about basketball, he's imagining himself making the moves properly. Jordan imagined himself making the moves properly. So you get all the practice you want in, and you are getting it in. That's the, the, the reality is you are already practicing. Now, are you practicing doing it wrong or are you going back and reimagining yourself doing it right? Now, would you, would, after you've practiced at the mirror, you're, you're rehearsing and you're going to bring this into your organization, do you, do you suggest keeping notes or a journal on this or kind of like when did it work? When did it not work? How do you think about that? Well, uh, as a separate um, aside, uh, notes are extremely helpful if they're handwritten. Your brain uh, acts, processes in a completely different way in handwriting versus typing. Thank you for saying that, Chris, because I'm going to just clip this out and send it to all of my students because they don't do exactly what you're saying. Yeah, you know, and so many people say, well, I type. You know, I think just fine when I'm typing. Well, I, I try it and find out. And I'll, I'll give you a great example. I'm, I'm working on uh, my TED Talk. And uh, I'm a very spontaneous speaker. So, you know, I, I speak to slides. I don't do a script. And the guys working on my TED Talk said, look, you've got to memorize this baby you got to hit it within a certain time frame. You have to memorize. And I'm like, I don't memorize. And so I started saying it out loud and I just could not get it in my head, no matter how many times I tried to memorize it. So I tell everybody about handwriting. So I'm like, well, maybe it'll help me memorize it if I handwrite it. So I started to handwrite it. And while handwriting it, I came up with thoughts that I had never come up with before. And I, it was not my intention to improve the talk via handwriting. And as soon as I did, uh, a creativity got unlocked in me that I had not experienced before. And I made significant revisions in the talk by handwriting it. Plus, I memorized it faster when, when I typed it a bunch of times. I read it out loud a bunch of times. I did everything else and while typing and while reading it out loud, I did not get the inspiration that I got when I hand wrote. Most people, you know, they reenact what happened and how it went down. 
or if they reenact it in their head, they imagine themselves losing their cool. But a visualization is taking the same tape and editing it so that instead of losing your cool or remembering it how it went down, you in you visualize yourself doing it right. Like in the conversation where you got mad and screamed at somebody, you go back and you envision yourself saying, give me a day to think about this. And then that's a rehearsal. So I'm, I'm really glad you brought that visualization up. It's a key skill for, of champions. Subscribe to the Black Swan Group's negotiation newsletter, which is free. It doesn't cost you anything. I had a colleague of the FBI that used to like to say, if it's free, I'll take three. Here's how you subscribe to The Edge if you're in the United States. Send the text to, the number is 33777, that's 33777. The text message that you send is Black Swan Method, Black Swan Method 233777. Comes to your email inbox on Tuesday mornings when you're ready to rock and roll and get after the week.